Tech operators, and welcome to another episode of the SITREP Podcast, your source for historical military wargaming news, discussion, hobby, and once in a while, even some gameplay. I am your host this morning, Ariskin and Jim, and on the field of battle today, we have first our friend Bill. Bill, how are you doing? Are you okay after the passage of our friend Ian? Uh, I am fine, actually. We uh, somehow got missed, thankfully, so uh, we're good. Yeah. All right. We also have, um, representing our Northern Brigade, we have Marty. How you doing? Good. Glad glad to be back. I missed uh, the, the last show, so uh, back, back in the saddle and uh, looking forward to hanging out and chatting. Cool. And we have a returning member also from uh, up north. We have Chris. Chris has joined us. Hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing? All right. So, um, again, uh, we definitely appreciate everybody who comes out or checks us out uh, at a later time on YouTube or on other podcast channels. This is, as always, the Sit Red Podcast. Give us a like, subscription, uh, give us a comment if you feel like it. We definitely appreciate everybody's support. And for now, we're going to go over to our cameras. And, okay, here we are, everybody. So, yep, we're up. We're on the right channel for a change. Internet is stable. Wow, it actually kind of worked for a change. <laughs> Good deal. So, um, yeah, uh, here we go for another episode. Um, and there goes my camera because, okay, it's back. Whoa, what the heck? That was kind of weird. You, you spoke too soon, Jim. Right. Literally, I put my, my, my hand down and it knocked the, the USB out of the camera. But that's okay. We're back. Okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, we got some people here in the chat. Tiger Shadow. Hey, all. It's my first day. Tiger Shadow, welcome to the show. Welcome it's our first day, too. Yeah, It's our first day of... Uh, <laughs> I sound of, like it. Just keep <laughs> yeah. listening. Yeah. Um, first day of the rest of our life. Every, everyone who watches a live podcast knows it's live, so uh, the chaos always ensues. But hey, seriously, though, welcome to the show, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So we usually get started with a quick hobby review here on the team. Um, I know a lot's been going on, especially down here in Florida. Uh, has anyone, uh, Bill, have you been up to any hobby lately? Uh, just uh, reviewing a uh, rule book for my upcoming project, um, Fistful of Toes 3. So um, hopefully I'll be able to start editing a video. And uh, I've got two in, in the works. Uh, one will be the, you know going through the rule book itself, and then another one will be uh, how to create armies uh, and where to order them from. So that's what I'm working on. Uh, with first impressions, is that game as complicated as it looks? I don't think so, to be honest with you. Okay. Because um, someone sent me the rule book. It was like 400 pages. I think that was mostly armies. Yeah, it's mostly army list. The rules itself okay. is like the first third of the book. So the rest of it is your army list. So it's not that You're going to be doing that in, either in six or three mil or something like that? Well, because of my limited space, it's more than likely going to be three mil because then I can do one-to-ones. So, you know, I can have a whole tank, uh, platoon, uh, troop, you know, depending on who you arm, armored cav or, or regular armored infantry um, on one stand. So I can have five M1s on one base. So, and that would represent nice. our troop. So that that is the plan. All right, uh, Marty. Anything going on up there? So uh, I've been doing one-to-one modeling. Uh, my uh, daughter number one is getting ready to uh, move out of the house into what? her first apartment. Woo. Yes. So my daughter Maria, for those of you that are familiar, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, so I've been, uh, let's see, uh, refinishing a kitchen table that somebody thought was a craft table. Uh, so they covered a solid oak table with black chalk paint. Oh, jeez. So yeah, that's that. That's like a that, war crime right there. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so that that has taken me over a week to uh, strip sand and restain, and I actually put the first coat of poly on it this morning. So uh, it'll be drying during the podcast, and then afterwards, I can go slap another, you know, sand it down, put another coat of poly on it, and that'll be done today or tomorrow. The uh, that's in another room, right? We we don't want to have to like put a little sign over your picture. You know, if Marty passes no. out, have <laughs> no, that's it, it, it's sitting out in my driveway right now. It's a beautiful day up here. It's probably I don't know sixty three degrees right now and sunny with a very light breeze. So I'm gonna let all that happen uh, outside. So we yeah we don't have to listen or smell that stuff. Uh, hey, so what's the over under on how many leaves are gonna be stuck to the table when you get out there? Oh, uh, it doesn't look good. I got one of those crappy honey locusts with those little teeny leaves. <laughs> I, I, so I'm, I'm admiring my work after I put the first coat on. I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking at it, seeing, you know, did I get everything even? I'm looking at the tree, and it's just... <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, if they'll start landing on the table, I'm going to have a case of the raging red ass. <laughs> oh, no. But uh, other, other than that, uh, I've done almost uh, nothing. It's been... Uh, you know, scooping up furniture for her, uh, for her and working on that stuff. Uh, I did get, however, I did get a new uh, hobby desk lamp. My old, my old one gave up the ghost, uh, so I got a new articulated one. Uh, I don't know why I didn't do that years ago. This it's so much better that I can maneuver this exactly where I want. I do love it. And uh, since daughter number one is getting ready to leave. Her room will be becoming my hobby operations center. Nice. So nice. I am planning that move in the next uh, week or two. So once when she's out and get a chance to deal with whatever's left in there, then I must transition all my stuff. It's currently up in my loft. I'm going to move all of that into her uh, former space and then uh, have, have my, own little, my own little digs. Nice. I'm picturing Marty like helping her, you know, like load the car. Here you go. Here you go. Anything else? Here you go. Here you go. Yeah, Marty. Marty has the pickup truck. I'll be hauling all that crap. Yeah. Yeah, Don't don't let the door hit you in the. I want the hobby space. Yeah. So Benny has. Is it going to be named the Hawk? What's that, Chris? Are you going to be naming it the Hawk? Oh yeah, absolutely. The Hobby Operations Center. The Hawk. I'm, I'm thinking so, that I'm thinking you need to get that laser fired up. And we we make a sign and a logo. There you go. Ben has joined us. Uh, he says hi all. Just woke up. Ben, what's going on, man? I know it's Saturday, but it's like eleven o'clock. <laughs> ben, in all seriousness, I hope you're doing okay. He's in the path of the remnants of Ian, so uh, yeah, hopefully he's not under too Ben's much getting water. Hit by that now, right? Uh, or either now or last night. Um, well, uh, we we hope we hope the best for you, buddy. And uh, Shakos and Sprues, our friend James Cutts has joined us. Uh, says Hobby Operations Center. Um, he's stealing that one. There you go. So <laughs> it's not copyrighted. I, there you go. Do, do, contact me. We'll work on a joint logo, and then we'll make franchises all over. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, hey, it's a, that steal. would be an awesome that, name of a game store. store. What's that? That would be Hobby an Operation awesome Center? name of a game store. Oh well, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you don't have any of those down there in the keys, do you, Bill? Not really. Actually, uh, the guy I work with, 
Uh, he's a huge gamer and uh, a fan of the show, by the way. And um, he... Uh, Shut him out. His name's Scott, so he's uh, unfortunately in Cape Coral right now trying to take care of his mom, who was in the path oh. of the storm. So I was going to say, is him and, he, he and his okay, hopefully? Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, he's been bugging me to open up a gaming space. So we've actually been looking yes. at a couple rental spots that where we can have, you know, nightly, like a game the club. So The Hawk. The Hawk. There you go. Woo! I'm telling you. We're going to have to create a light. All right. Graphics and logos coming for the Hawks soon. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. All right. I'm done, boys. That's my contribution. The Hawks. <laughs> there you go. I'm just going to sit back and listen to the rest of you talk for an hour. <laughs> uh, Chris, any hobby with you? Well, believe it or not, I've been uh, working on the laser, trying to get that up and running. Good. Putting oh. it all back together, getting it all... Uh, squared and yeah you know, square and plumb yep yep cool so all right so um i've had a little bit going on Laser. All right, so the first thing that we had uh, just after last podcast, last episode of the podcast, uh, Gaz came back to us. What? Um, so Gaz, yeah, yeah. Gaz and I had a game of Valorant Victory, recreating the long-range desert group, um, hitting the Barca Airfield. This is the night of September 13th to 14th, 1942. So we went over the relationship between the LRDG and the early SAS not only last episode but also a great time a great deal during the stream so i won't like belabor the point again but basically they started to work especially through the middle and later part of 1942 sort of hand in hand the lrdg was the desert navigation and survival unit that would get the sas to the target um the sas wasn't terribly good at that in those days their first couple missions actually were really really disastrous and then once they got to the target the lrdg would step back the sas would conduct the strike and then throughout 1942 they started to learn from each other and before you know it the lrdg was conducting strikes like this and um of course the sas had learned how to you know navigate these deserts which are not like deserts like the north african desert this is not like the uh, golden heights or the sinai desert or even way out like at fort Irwin or anything else like this is like you might as well be on dune yeah. roll d6 to encounter random jawas or get shot at by tuscan raiders this is deep deep desert wow um way before you know uh, GPS or anything else like that. So we had a great game. Um, I did manage to squeak out a win, although Gaz did let me play the Long Range Desert Group, so surprise, surprise. Um, I had the Tier 1 Operator. Shocker, I won. Um, I don't think the game was terribly well-balanced, um, but... It, it was harder than it looks. I got lucky on a couple rolls. This is one of those games where if you lose one or two units, you've probably lost um, as the uh, as the tier one side. So that was definitely a, uh, a great game. Let's see what else did we do. Okay, I've been spending a lot of time down at Das Creek House, the home of the South Florida Miniatures Gaming Club. We've put up a couple videos of uh, Debellus Antiquitatis. This is a light sort of a, I don't want to call it a beer and pretzel game because that's almost doesn't a disservice, but it was designed to fit on an English pub table. So oh, kind of a beer beer and pretzel game. I mean, there's beer involved because you're in a pub. Beer and chips. But this is, there you go. Yeah, chip. um, 
10 millimeter. Uh, it goes from, you know, ancient times. I'm not sure how far back you can go. There's tons of army lists. You can go back, I think, as far back as like late Bronze Age. So past the Romans, past the Greeks, you're into like early Egyptians of, um, you know, Ramses II, uh, Hittites. So you're literally at the Battle of Megiddo, the birth of military history, the very first battle that ever took place that a human being actually sat down afterwards and decided to write about it. Uh, that's pretty much as far back as you can go. And then here you've got medievals. So it covers a lot of territory. It's a very uh, um, light game. It kind of has to be when it covers that much uh, time period or that broad of a time period. But we've had a couple of videos on our uh, YouTube channel. Um, check them out. Here we've got uh, Seleucids versus uh, pre-imperial. So like Republic era Romans. Um, that was a lot of fun. That video is also up on our YouTube channel. It's got a little bit of a play-by-play -play on it. So if you're interested in this game, check it out. Um, we also kicked off an old game that has been rattling around in my closet, originally called Gladiator Blood and Sand, because it was clearly based on Spartacus, Blood and Sand, the old Star series. Um, Needless to say, we wanted to spruce it up a little bit, make it a little bit more virtual, and give it a name that wasn't quite as derivative. So we came up with uh, Arena, um, I'm sorry, Arena of the Damned, and it's a skirmish uh, gladiator system. So I made about 50 counters, uh, as you see here. Here's some of the uh, gladiatrix uh, figures. There are possibilities and interconnected, or not interconnected, um, different options you can choose. There's at least four or 5,000 possible counters here uh, just for the women and then the men it's like 1200 uh, they have slightly less options um, basically the men don't have tunics so that's one last thing that uh, generates additional choices so we've got the four basic classes we've got the mermillos up front that's the guy with the classic shield and the sword hoplomachus with the shorter shield and the spear Machiari, the two swords and the radiaris uh, which would be the you know the trident and uh, spear or I should say trident and net along with Noxia criminals and there's a whole bunch of other stuff crossbows axes so on and so forth um, we had a couple games of it uh, on last week's stream or actually we had a game of it last week's stream we demonstrated how we create a fighter and then we actually had a battle that was kind of fun uh, Jen did walk away with a win on that one although she took at least four wounds she didn't walk away completely unscathed um, and this is more or less how it looked again the video is on our uh, YouTube channel if you're interested I think it's also linked on our Facebook page so you create a fighter you do some of the paperwork ahead of time you create you know uh, how the, the, you know, the basic attributes of the fighter plus all their skills in combat plus all their skills for campaign or scenario based games um, and then you, you know, go from there. What makes this game at least what I was trying to go for a little bit different than a typical skirmish game well it's really only like one or two maybe three or four per side so it's a super super low level skirmish game is that this usually takes place in an arena so scores like aura performance things like that are just as important as sword and shield um literally if you lose a fight and you've 
managed to score enough aura plus performance rolls, the crowd likes you, they'll give you the thumbs up. It can literally make a big difference whether or not you live or die is how you know likable you are. It's WWE with swords. Nice. It's, it's half fighting <laughs> and 90% performance. So 10% fighting, 90% performance, although that's a little bit of an exaggeration. So that was last week. Uh, we also uh, did last week, uh, we have some video for this upcoming, hopefully coming out later this week, a nice big game of uh, getting back to moderns because moderns is our is our you know our wheelhouse um and we've been doing a lot of ancients lately so i did want to get back to some moderns some uh seven days at the river rhine so 15 millimeter uh bundeswehr west germans versus uh, guards army soviets late 1980s hence the t-a-d-b-u or the, the t-a-d-u's and the uh, leopard 2 battle tanks uh, this is the first time I was able to get seven days to the River Rhine on a nice big, you know, um, eight-foot table. Usually I have to do it in my living room, which is not an eight-foot table. But, um, yeah, this was John Sowerby played the West German Bundeswehr and Jennifer Bordeaux, if I'm saying that right, Bordeaux, um, not the not the Jennifer of Sitrep fame, obviously, different Jennifer, uh, played a uh, the leading edge of a Soviet operational maneuver group. And, uh, yeah, there it was on an eight-foot table. So we had a pretty big battle. On an eight-foot table, you have maybe 10, 12 tanks on the table total. So it's not like Team Yankee. We try to avoid, like, the parking lot uh, tank. Yeah, the whole tank parking lot thing. Um, so, yeah, it came out pretty good. Um, I won't spoil who won or lost or by how much, because, again, we hope to have a video or a couple of videos, maybe. Um, it's all recorded. I just have to put it together and edit it. Hopefully, part one may be as early as Wednesday. But, um, spoiler alert, you do see a lot of burning German armor on the table. <laughs> Jim, was that your your table, or was that at the club? or? Uh, oh, I, I, had, I had a... I, I had to put all the, this is all my stuff. This is all my armies. Um, that, that's my a really terrain. nice looking table. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been building up uh, 15 and 20 millimeter terrain for years. So sometimes it gets a little dinged up. Uh, you can attribute some of it to battle damage, but sooner or later you gotta repair some of these uh, uh, repair some of these pieces. So everything here is. Go ahead. I was gonna say so. So I recognize uh, uh, some of the buildings from when you uh, did your video on how to build them from uh, from card. Yeah, that's this one right here. Yeah. That that was that was literally in that video. Some of this other stuff was used in Trenton. So Trenton, kind of weird, put a Revolutionary War table on a 1988 uh, battlefield. Then again, this is Germany, well, and they yeah. built buildings. They built buildings a lot smaller in the colonial period. So you can take a 20 millimeter colonial building and sometimes get away with a 15 millimeter modern building, depending on where it is. I wouldn't put this building here in Manhattan, um, you know, nowadays. But you know, out in the uh, Bavarian countryside, who knows? Yeah, looks good. Cool, yes, thank you. Yeah, everything there is, oh, cool. Um, so everything here is scratch built, uh, except for the Christmas trees, which aren't really Christmas trees anymore. But uh, they start off with like those those diorama trees. Yeah, take a pair of scissors, you hack them up so they're no longer those perfect cones. Uh, put some xenophil, uh, like lighter green on them, and they look okay. Other than that, everything is. Uh, well, the cars, like our little matchbox cars. And anyway, cool. So before we go on to the next thing, yeah, let's catch up with the chat. Yes, Gaz is with us. Um, so Gaz uh, gives a thumbs up to House Hippolyta. Uh, uh, was that Jen's uh, name? 
House, yeah, House of Politics. Huh? Cool. Yeah, that was the name of Jen's little house for her uh, her gladiatrix gladiatrixes. So Gaz says, uh, hey there, team. Uh, good to see you all. The Sit Rep Podcast. Cool. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for coming out, um, Gaz, as always. Um, ben says he was pretty far west to whatever was left of Ian. Okay, cool. So he, he cool. did get uh, – well, the, sometimes those parts of the country that don't normally get hit with hurricanes, even if it's just a tropical remnant, uh, it can cause a lot of flooding problems because they're not used to it. They don't have the drainage. They don't have the – you know, um, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not really built for it. But glad to hear everything's okay. Right. Uh, Jen says that sheet worked out great. Yeah, this was a bed sheet, believe it or not, at Walmart of all places. It's a dark green. You know what it looks like? Exactly the kind of stuff they make the old green, the old OD green uh, skivvy shirts in the military with. Except it's a queen size bed sheet. So I stretched that out. I put some lighter browns and some darker greens on there sprayed it a little bit let it dry outside so the fumes wouldn't gas everybody to death when i took it into <laughs> a gaming hall yeah. and uh, yeah it worked out great and it's easy to store you just you know throw it up because it's t-shirt material it doesn't really wrinkle that much uh-huh. so nice yeah no that looks great yeah inspiration for all you uh folks out there building your own tables all right, and for tomorrow, um, what we're working on, again, sticking with moderns, is uh, Marty took a little bit of a, a we, we kind of had the same idea at the same time. We talked about it in the last episode. We're doing exercise talisman saber. So it's kind of tough to keep doing, I mean, because, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm so tired of, you know, the, the Russians invade uh, Germany in the 1980s. We literally just did it back here. Um, I didn't want to do the same thing again. Uh, I do have an opponent for tomorrow's game. Uh, me and our friend Dylan in Australia are going to get together. We're going to do Talisman's, uh, Talisman Saber. So Talisman Saber is a biennial exercise undertaken between the U.S. military and the Australian military. Yeah, so the Aussies. Put, yeah, yeah so good. So we're going to have a game within a game, so to speak. We're going to have a Pange Leader game that recreates an exercise. Uh, long story short, we're going to put U.S. Marines up against um, – which again aren't these counters. The Marines don't have Bradleys anymore. Marines never had Bradleys. They don't use strikers. They don't use Abrams anymore. So this is just, it's going to look a little like this, but it's going to be Marine Corps equipment um, up against Australian stuff, uh, which I am building today, actually, uh, for Panzer Leader. So it'll be a very small game, probably a battalion on a battalion. The nice thing about putting two Western armies against each other is when you put down a NATO or an allied combined arms force you don't need a soviet regiment or a russian brigade or you know because you have to outnumber by at least three to one to have a decent game right so this will actually help in actually keeping the game by a decent size and i think that's pretty much it for me um let me double check here uh that's definitely it for me then we go into community hobby so let's go into community hobby before you do since you're gonna be playing in uh Austria, or um, Australia, excuse me. Um, Bill, what was that uh, war where the the birds... The Great Emu War? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) See, now i got to make up emu counters. Man. (laughs) Why why you got to piss off the Aussies? (laughs) No, the Aussies are going to have them as one of their troops. They don't want to hear about that shit. (laughs) Didn't they they, uh, lose... um, on that, <laughs> it was uh, it, it, it was a pyrrhic victory at best. It was an embarrassing victory at best. Yeah, 
It's like 1910. They still haven't lived it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, just as a joke, though, that's actually a great idea. I might go ahead and make up uh, Marine Emu counters. <laughs> so up, so up come the uh, up come the LAV 25s. Down come the V22 Ospreys, and out jump a bunch of emus. All Australian units route automatically. Sure. I, I think you had to use the sit uh, skirmish rules, where uh, you know uh, the emus can switch sides. You know, based on uh, morale or randomness, or whatever. <laughs> that so, is true. They are ill-disciplined troops at best. But yeah, I was gonna say, how highly trained can they be? They're just raging, big-ass birds. <sighs> maybe, maybe an AI, and they just attack whatever's closest to them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, or a third combatant. <laughs> well, yeah, right. now we need a third player. All right, so Chris has uh, volunteered to play the emus in tomorrow's game. We log on at four o'clock, so we'll see. Them. Uh, Luckily, we got twenty-five millimeter cannon on those LAVs. We'll take care. Of, we're, all, we're all having emu for dinner. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, hey, check the uh, chat there. Uh, totally. Yeah, check. Uh, so Tiger Shadows. <laughs> yeah, Tiger Shadow says, "Don't mention the Great Emu War." <laughs> Uh, that actually uh, did happen. So like yeah. emus, like those, like way out in the outback, like there was like a machine gun platoon or a machine gun section were like posted out on the flank somewhere, and then the road back was blocked by a herd of emus. They opened fire on the emus. The emus charged them, and uh, <laughs> they they couldn't get back to them until like the next day, and they were cut <laughs> off. And I'm not sure of the full, the whole story, but it was actually a thing. And afterwards, the Australian government like slaughtered seventy thousand emus or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, dude. Like uh, I said they did eventually win, but a, a pyrrhic victory at best. Yeah, <laughs> that is hilarious. You join with the you, it doesn't join you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, speaking of Australians, this is uh, Dylan's Eighth Army Force. Um, so, uh, looks like he's kind of going all over the map here as far as he's printing this out, I think, himself, or he commissioned them. I think he has his own 3D printer now. So, this is six mil. Wow. Uh, he's printing out, um, yeah, it looks like Crusaders in the middle here. These are definitely either priests or sextons. Uh, sextons, I should say. He's got a bunch of the British uh, Grants, which was pretty much their version of our Lee battle tank, a whole bunch of universal carriers. And um, for later part of the Desert War, he's got some uh, Churchills, some of the early Churchills. So he's got the whole thing covered pretty much, except for the very, very early. He's got the mid-war and the late war as far as the desert goes. Yeah, he's got oh, a respectable-looking force there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see those up, Dylan. Participants, uh, 20,000 emus. That must be more tokens than the Soviets. Well, yeah, if you, like, if there are 50 emus in a platoon. You're going to need at least uh, 20,000. Crap, you would need 400 counters. Yeah, that'd be a lot. I don't think that would fit on my table tomorrow. Ben says the bird is the word. There you go. Uh, That's right. You just got to stack them right. Uh, they'll fit. Right? They'll be fine. Okay, and then we also have him working on some um, fantasy figures. So he put this in our Discord. I definitely like the way the chainmail came out. Yeah, You're very nice. And then again, Gaz. Uh, remember, Gaz was working on this. Um, I think it's a high elf fleet, like a year ago. I think he finally looks like he finally finished them up, and he finally has them. Uh, uh, he finally has them on the table. Yeah, that's that's nice looking there, buddy. 
like this one here with a little side staircase. It looks like a cruise ship or something. Yeah. Goes up to the back where they have like a little promenade yeah. for dinner or something. I mean, I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Now, uh, let's see if uh, you want to if you want to follow uh, Gaz. Uh, he is on Instagram as uh, is it the average miniature painter Gaz? Did I get that right? I don't have my my Insta up, but uh, yeah, he's working on uh, I think a six millimeter army right now. Yes, which we're about to get to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, English Civil War. Yeah. So I also like these. I don't know if these griffins and dragons are friendlies or not. I don't know if he's got air cover or if he's under air attack or both. Maybe the griffin is his combat air patrol. And here come the incoming uh, torpedo bombers, i.e. dragons. We've all seen Game of Thrones. We know what a dragon will do to a fleet in our big hurry um, under the, the wrong conditions. So there's a little bit more of a wide angle. Um, yeah, hopefully those are friendlies. I like the little island yeah. terrain he's got here. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. So Gaz says, cheers, guys. Uh, yeah, they went up against a dwarf fleet. Well, you got elves versus dwarves. I don't know anything about fantasy. Is this a Mantis I do know, game? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. Gaz will probably answer us in the chat. So, uh, yeah, that right, Gaz says. Okay, so we're talking about his Instagram page. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, check him out. He's got good stuff on there. And then apparently he worked on these guys for a friend. Uh, so um, I'm hoping he got uh, either a really good friend, got something out of it, or got a good commission because those are really well uh, those are really well painted miniatures there. Mm-hmm. Yes, very nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, Gas says that's fast air support. All right, cool. At least they're friendlies. So he he's got a little cap over his uh, his carrier strike force there. Like it. Nice. Well done. And then yeah, this is the uh, I yeah, think it was English Civil War Army. He was he was working on. So yeah, six mil. It looks like it looks all mounted. Uh, there are a few guys on foot back here. The crossbowmen. I'm not sure if that's a crew for the artillery. It's gonna see. Yeah, I think those are the crews. Other than that, everything looks mounted. Um, some sort of uh, cavalry or another. So it's all cavalry, all artillery. Interesting force. Impressive. Um, yeah, so uh, Billy says Man of War from GW. Yep. Okay. All right, and that was pretty much um, it for hobby. So, cool. Um, again, if you're uh, everyone, if you're interested in seeing uh, your stuff on our show, we are, um, you can always put it on our either Discord. The uh, invite to our Discord is in the description of this video, or you can go to uh, the SitRev Facebook page. Uh, you can also put your content there as well. Um, I check both when we're putting out these little slideshows, and we uh, you know, we try to feature your stuff in the in the show. So Gaz says, I'm currently uh, oh, sat here painting the small horses. This is just one side's calorie for the Battle of Edgeshell. Damn, that's, that's a big one, too. Um, that's one of the biggest battles of the English Civil War, so... Yeah, hopefully you're not building that whole force yourself. Or if you are, you know, good luck. We definitely want to see more progress. So that's going to be a big project. Right. And, um, yeah, so that uh, wraps up Mr. Uh, Hobby. Uh, How about we go into some news now, uh, Marty? Absolutely. So uh, I went kind of light on the the news. I have a I have a couple other things other than the stuff that I shared with you earlier. So uh, like I said, kind of kind of a light day. And uh, as you know me, news may be news to me, not news to you. So uh, 
Oh, it's your coach. <laughs> You'll see that in a minute. Uh, one of the things I saw while I was cruising around Black Scorpion uh, miniatures, uh, they make a rule set uh, for uh, uh, a Western game called Tombstone, uh, like an old West uh, uh, kind of game, as well as uh, another called Cutlass, which is a uh, pirate uh, skirmish game. Uh, their miniatures are really nice. Uh, you know, So if you're interested in that, hey, go check that out. But what caught my eye is, uh, so uh, it's their birthday. They turned 17, and uh, they decided that they're going to uh, be giving away uh, a miniature for free uh, if you uh, spend more than 10 pounds at their store, which is, you know, I think the dollar and the pound are about even right now, so 10 bucks. Uh, That's crazy. USD. And, That's nuts. Uh, I, I and can't they, remember the last time that happened. And they made a Christmas model, and... <laughs> Their Christmas model is a drunken Santa with a reindeer on, on the roof. <laughs> and it's we hilarious. have to buy that miniature. So, we have to buy so, that, uh, so buy go, that go spend 10 bucks and get your miniature. <laughs> we nice. have to buy that miniature for our next uh, Christmas Santa battle we have every year. Yeah. And, the North uh, Pole Defense Force. Uh, and I think they're just, if I remember correctly, it's just BlackScorpion.com. But uh, yeah, Google Black Scorpion uh, miniatures and uh, you, you can find a link to it. Uh, another another interesting little piece of news, uh, which happened recently, uh, Warlord Games has acquired Conflict 47, we're World War II game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they've uh, Warlord and Clockwork Goblin, who who owns the game and created it, uh, had been working together for uh, for some time. I think it's like uh, eight years now, something like that. Uh, and the the ranges continue to grow. The game uh, continues to uh, you know steadily uh, progress in uh, popularity and whatnot. And uh, you know, Warlord and Clockwork Goblin worked out a deal, and uh, Warlord now owns it, uh, lock, stock, and barrel. The you know all of the IP, the whole nine yards, and will uh, continue to distribute and probably increase distributorship of. Uh, of conflict 47 so if you're you're into that stuff uh which you know uh is adjacent to one of my favorite games because i like dust 40 uh does uh 1947 except you know well it's not supported anymore to say the least uh you know this is a uh uh a nice uh uh adjunct to it mm-hmm. and then particularly now this is one of the, one of the things that uh like I said, uh, may not be new to you, but it's new to me. I just, I literally stumbled over it looking for something else uh, while I was actually shopping for my own hobby materials. Scale 75 makes environmental kits, and their environmental kit is, I mean, it's 45, 50 bucks, and it is enough stuff for a particular theme. And when I say theme, spring, fall, summer, autumn, you know, the seasons, as well as they do jungle, urban, and cold, uh, and fantasy. Uh, it is like everything to make uh, a small di- a small, a, a very small table, maybe uh, a diorama, a bunch of basing stuff if you want to base your things. But I mean, it's it's got everything you could want. There's water effects, there's flock, there's uh, static grass, there's uh, trees, bushes, flowers, uh, there's garlic. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing. So if you don't, you know, if you've just got a small thing, uh, that small project that you're working on. Instead of having to go out and get all of that stuff individually, which would probably be much more expensive, uh, if you got a little project, this is a one-stop shop that uh, is pretty cool, and it's uh, like I said, 40, 50, you know, forty-five, fifty bucks uh, for uh, most of these kits. I thought it was thought it was really neat. I did not know that they did that at all, and uh, I was 
I was really impressed when I came across it. So I figured some other folks might not know either. Yeah. Check it if out. this is scale 75, normally the guys who do like the really big busts. Is that their yeah. Yes. Known yeah. For? 75 okay. millimeter ones. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough. Yeah. Yep. Uh, awesome. You know, that, as that's well also as they've, got their, they've also got their own paint ranges and uh, you know brushes and and whatnot as well. Uh, but yeah, I did I did not know that they did any of this this type of stuff. So uh, when I stumbled across, it, I'm like, hey, this is cool. I, I'm gonna share with the group just in case others are interested. And then uh, I, got, I got a couple of, of quick addendums that I wanted to share as well. Uh, these are most these are both a couple of a Kickstarter things, but it goes particularly with our theme. So uh, there is a uh, a game that uh, uh, called uh, Close Quarter Battle, the miniature game uh, that is out on Kickstarter now, and uh, basically uh, it is a uh, uh, a, a two player game that is set in uh, modern cartel insurgent type of thing and it's it's all cqb it's all close quarters doesn't require a bunch of models doesn't require a lot of space uh you know uh, but it like i said it kind of kind of leans into uh you know what what we're going to be discussing here in a minute so i thought i would share that hey this is uh this is a thing that's out there uh they say it's quick to learn and easy to pick up uh, the book provides 15 uh, mission-specific uh, uh, encounters for a, a campaign, uh, particularly on the, the war on drugs. Uh, but uh, you can adapt it to any modern conflict. So if that's uh, if that's something that you're you think you might be interested, uh, you can go to Kickstarter and just look up Close Quarter Battle: The Miniature Game. Uh, the other one is oh hold on I just opened that one twice that's not what we wanted the other one's in country uh, and give me a second to get to it that's also on Kickstarter because uh, I clicked on the wrong thing and now I can't find it in country oops kick start her but that's a uh, no, 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 that's not what we want. Uh, there we go. All right, so... Um, uh, da, 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 da. Where are we at? Hold on, I can't get to it. While you're thinking of that, let me so, uh, just do a couple quick things. Uh, sure. First, you're please. accusing Marty of thinking? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, first thing is just a reminder to everybody that the podcast is now back available not only in the video format here on YouTube, but on audio format throughout all podcasting software platforms. Uh, whether you go directly to our podcasting site on Podbean, you can get on Google uh, Play, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, everything that you – any platform that supports podcasts, you can find our podcast. So if you want to listen to it in the car or working out or whatever, um, it is available there. Uh, so let your friends know as well that you have other options if you're unable to uh, watch the video. So uh, there's that. Yes. Uh, well, now we've lost Marty's picture. Way to go, Marty. Oh, oh hold on. Some, I'm, that's a bad thing about doing this on my phone. Well, while he's working tried. on that, I've got another quick news item. Uh, just go ahead. Up. Uh, Vallejo. Uh, has re-released their game uh, paints. Uh, they've reformulated them, and they're a higher pigment density and uh, new formula 
formula that goes on better. Uh, they worked with Angel Geraldes, um who else? They worked with several of uh, really good our painters to come up with the new uh, redone paint line, and they also are coming out with their own version of speed paints. Uh, so it looks like my preferred paint company, Vallejo, uh, is answered the call to Army Painter and uh, Citadel Paints on their speed paints and contrast paints. So I'm very happy and excited to hear that because I, I always do prefer Vallejo personally. So. I use Vallejo airbrush, Vallejo washes, and Vallejo matte varnishes, for sure. Yep. So, with that, uh, are they going to... I know for a while it was hard finding anything Vallejo. Um, are they getting better um, with catching up with uh, their distribution? Uh, I mean, it's like everything. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I only time will tell, but they didn't particularly address that in the news release, so I'm hoping that they've answered that thing. So... All right, Marty, I'm sorry. All right, so, um, it, sorry, it took me a minute. Of course, my computer decided that it wanted to update, so mm-hmm. it took it a second to quit doing this thing. However, uh, Enemy Spotted Studios has a game called uh, In Country. Uh, it is uh, in Kickstarter now. You can also go to enemyspottedstudios.com uh, and see, one, they've got a bunch of other games here into that. Uh, but... Uh, uh, this is a real-world military uh, uh, type of game uh, that uh, use U.S. Rangers, use some Russian Special Forces, uh, various other uh, military and insurgent groups, uh, and it is uh, designed to be one of the, uh, a small, fast play game. You know, they say that uh, you know it's uh, one of those that's uh, quick to learn, hard to master. You can. Uh, uh, you know, play in as little uh, as 30 minutes, and it takes 10 minutes to figure out the rules. So, uh, you know, they uh, they have some models that go with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, da, 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 da. So, uh, you know, it's basically platoon level and smaller. Obviously, it's a skirmish game, not that not that big. But uh, you can uh, you can see more information about that uh, by going to. Uh, either the Enemy Spotted Studios uh, webpage or go to uh, their Kickstarter. It's still on Kickstarter, and that's where you would need to purchase it currently or back it for purchase. But, uh, you know, uh, again, that one kind of leaned into our, our topic a little bit. Uh, you know, looking at some of their scenarios, it looks like there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunity for urban warfare there. So Cool. There you go. That That's the news for me. Um, so we got a couple questions on the news. Uh, Gaz asks, could you use Conflict 47 for Dust 47? So uh, the answer is kind of yes and no. Uh, so Dust 1947, it's no, it's no longer supported. Uh, but, uh, you know, each of the vehicles came with, uh, or uh, vehicles, characters, whatever, all came with their own stack cards, right? So you would have to homebrew that portion of it. But, uh, you know, Provided, you know, it's not like you're going to a tournament with it these days. So, you know, as long as you and your buddies agree that, you know, this piece of equipment equals these stats. Yeah, there's no reason why you couldn't. Uh, as well as I know that, uh, you know, I'm in the, a couple of uh, social media groups for uh, for Dust. Uh, there are dudes that proxy uh, things in all the time. They're like, oh, you know, I don't like the look of this one, so I'm going to use a different model for it, but use the same card. You can certainly do that again. You know, you might have to make sure that your opponent's cool with it, but 
I, I think generally speaking, uh, at least over here in the U.S., because it's never been uh, a truly competitive game over here, uh, like tournament scene or anything, I, I think that would wholeheartedly be uh, acceptable. So, yeah, go go for it. And, and by the way, uh, they have some cool models. So, I mean, if you're into that stuff, go check it out. Um, cool. Oh, so Gaz says, yeah, there is going to be a lot more for that Edge Hill army, but he's only going to paint a portion of them uh, for the event. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, 75 millimeter. Um, again, that's not, I'm not terribly familiar with their um, um, their product line, Ben, but it's 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 big. Yeah. And uh, it's not always a full miniature. And it's often more of like a hobby or a display piece than like yeah. you're going to paint 50 of these and put them on the table. Yeah. I mean, that would be an awesome looking table, but... It would be uh, kind yeah. of big. <laughs> yeah, they, they they do make some, but like you said, generally speaking, those are display models, and they have a lot of busts uh, mm-hmm. as well. But, uh, right. but they have re- they have some really cool stuff. If uh, you know, if you've ever want, you know, if you're a duffer like me, and uh, you know, while Gaz calls himself the the average miniature painter, we all know that's not true. He's an excellent painter. Uh, I would say that I am an actual average miniature painter but that could be a good way to kind of stretch your uh your skills and uh try something new so you know whether it's through them or someone else uh you know if you want to try uh some new techniques or just uh you know a palette cleanser because you you paint so many little dudes and you know how many times can i paint multi-cam on a 28 millimeter guy that's a uh, battle tech for me i mean so many <laughs> greens grays browns tans gray greens browns tans gray is this annoying yet greens yeah. browns i want to paint some wild ass blues purples pinks you know yeah. so battle tech and okay i got that out of my system back to work greens yeah, yep. browns tans. <laughs> yeah i want to use i want to use all the other paints that came with my set yeah. <laughs> before they go bad you can, tell yeah. you can tell a historical gamer he's got his little rack of paints and it's like empty 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 full 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 full, full. yeah yeah, the, yeah, yeah I'm pink I'm a lot of use for that yeah that's the color I don't use ever skill 75 also has a number of uh, models war tanks uh, fantasy figures mm-hmm. um, they're not scaled by minute uh, by millimeter they're like one I saw the war tanks on their site one to 100 um, but they do have a, a lot of stuff. Yep. And I, we, uh, Marty's got a friend uh, who uh, has changed all of his paints over to scale 75. He likes those better. Than- <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, heavy, they're heavily uh, pigmented. They're very matte. So just, just be aware of that's that. Good. You know, uh, oftentimes... That's actually a good for, thing. For us, that's a good thing, yeah. But uh, uh, they... You know, it like for instance, if you're used to using GW Citadel paints, uh, it, it is going to act and look uh, significantly different. Mm-hmm. So it might take a little getting used to. Uh, perhaps don't start with your best model. <laughs> get a, get a little mileage on the brush, practice that, so that way you can see what that stuff looks like before you. Well, uh, when, when when the whole uh, contrast, when the whole contrast painting uh, craze hit like two year two years ago. Um, everyone started using those contrast paints and those are fine but wow they come out glossy as crap and like the first thing you gotta do when you're done painting them is like just drown them in matte varnish because I mean that's great paint and it does go down fast but it does add a step unless you want your guys looking like you know they just you know climbed out of the pool you know wet and shiny yeah Yeah. well you know 90% of the times I'm on matte varnish whatever I've got anyway so 
you know that that hasn't been a a, a great concern uh, for me personally. But yeah, you you, you were going to get some shiny dudes out of some of those. I have not used the new contrast paints at all, so I can't speak to those. But those look like they are much more uh, intense. You know, have a lot more pigment, brighter colors. You know, uh, very can be very vibrant. So which brand are you talking about, Marty? Contrast paints. Oh, GW. Okay. Because the ones that contrast. Yeah, well, Scale 75, they have, you know, some of their contrast. Whatever uh, they do not it. have contrast paints. They have their own their own little name for it. I forget what they call yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah, I forget. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, the only ones that I've used uh, has been the uh, some of the GW ones. So no, no speed paints or uh, Instapaint or whatever else is out there these days. There's a lot of uh, companies that have uh, developed their own line of uh, that type of paint, but I've only used the uh, the GW ones. Cool. So, Gaz says, thanks for the answer, uh, Marty. And uh, Tiger Shadow is still hung up on the emus. He says, I substitute all em- miniatures for emus. <laughs> you guys are, I have to make, I got to make about 40 counters tonight anyway, counter templates anyway. I'll, 41 is not a problem. I'll just go get a random bird silhouette on some PNG somewhere, slap it on there, emu. <laughs> No range attack, but their close assault value is going to be insane. So get ready for that. <laughs> and uh, Australian units, negative five on a D6 for morale because they're just going to run in terror. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. But, liter- but literalist, right? They're just I'm sorry? Mob, mob, uh, mob rules? Yeah, yeah, we'll figure out some like, random <laughs> movement or something. It's a swarm army. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Shakos and Spruce says yeah, scale 75 ones are very different not um, okay so we're talking about the different kinds of uh, uh, either uh, uh, speed paints either the GW contrast or um, the uh, scale 75 ones cool yep alright so uh, anything else for news or in the community any other uh, uh, questions or comments about news if not we will jump into our topic briefly and uh, wrap up the show let's do this let's rock cool all right, so um, we are now one technically day late, September 2022, the month we just kind of got through. Um, does mark the 80th anniversary of the granddaddy of all urban combat, uh, of all urban battles, or at least all modern, modern-ish urban battles. Of course, Stalingrad was not the first modern battle, or not the first battle to take place in a town or a city, but when it comes to a lot of the things we think of today as modern or modern-ish urban combat, Stalingrad is kind of one of the first big ones. Uh, if not the first, one of the first big ones, and holy crap. Um, I, I can promise you guys this. Uh, the, uh, the let me put my historian's hat on for a second here. Almost any numbers you're going to read on Stalingrad in, in commonly available sources are just flat out wrong. Uh, the Germans lost upwards of 300,000 people in there, and the Soviets admitted to 45,000 losses. The number is closer to one to one and a half million. Um, to this day, yeah, to this day in in Volgograd, they call it nowadays, um, when they are going to big build either a road a canal, a bridge, something bigger than a house, some kind of like civic building or commercial building, they've got to leave an extra month or two in the schedule because odds are three out of 10, two out of 10, you know, who knows what there, there's a, there's a chance they're going to hit more human undocumented human remains. Um, nobody knows how many people died in that fight. Uh, it's completely insane. 
However, uh, as far as what we're talking about here, um, it is one of the you know the great urban battles of uh, in the history of warfare, and in this battle we saw a lot of the fundamentals that uh, a lot of that we see sort of established and kind of take for granted uh, in modern combat today. So control of the sewers. If the town that you're fighting in is big enough to have sewers, subterranean sewers, and not just pipes, but actual sewers that you kind of go down into, um, you better have some eyes down on there uh, to be sure. This became a huge thing uh, in Stalingrad for sure because it was a larger city. Um, one of the big things that I've read about is the Russians learned, or the Soviets, I should say, the Soviets learned very quickly that if you're taking a building, now, the first thing you have to take is the stairwells. If you control a, build, a multi-level building, if you control the stairwells, you control the building. Um, clearly, there weren't as many elevators as there were uh, nowadays. And even if there are elevators, let's be real. If there's an elevator in your modern building, that building probably doesn't have power if it's in a war zone. Um, so the elevators aren't running anyway. So once you control the stairwells, again, I'm not sure how many how, how detailed you guys get into your, your, your modern combat or if people want to talk about it in the chat. Um, but if you get into those internal, like you take the roof off the building and you've got rooms inside to actually move your figures around, um, do you have stairwells and do you have rules for control of those stairwells? Can you change levels of a building without a stairwell? Maybe a breaching charge through the floor, you can jump down through the hole, but you know, now you're going to have to have rules for that as well. Um, speaking of breaching drills, breaching drills. I mean, we've all you know trained or practiced it at least once. Um, thankfully, I never had to do it in real life, but um, they did teach it to us. I, I went to combat town. Uh, I went through my little mount training, military operations and urban train. I don't know if they still call it that, but yep. uh, back in the ancient days, that's what they used to call it. Um, yeah, so you know you have to sort of have rules. For that. I know Force on Force has rules for this. Um, it becomes a big deal when only you know you can have a fire team of four, but only one guy can go through that hole at a time, and that's going to cause a problem. Line of sight, engagement, reactions, and uh, things like that. Um, the importance of taking a building from the top down. Um, this was definitely something they taught us. It's always the toughest way to attack a building, but if you go in the building on the ground floor and you're trying to clean insurgents out, you know, from level two, level three, level four, they have nowhere to go and they're going to fight 10 times as hard. If you can possibly manage it, if you can take a building from the top down, you're giving them a way out. They're going to run away. And then maybe you've got a couple of fire teams on the street front fire watch to, you know, either kill or capture, you know, that threat. The other nice um, thing about clearing from the top down, Jim, is uh, once you've cleared that level, uh, unless your enemy has some way of getting to the top uh, from another adjacent building, they have air support. You, you know, they've got wings. Whatever. Uh, once it's cleared, it's cleared. So you don't have to worry about what's behind you. In this case, what what's above okay. you? You work your way down, and that's that's really yeah, uh... rolling through a building, clearing rooms. <laughs> Unless he's got batarangs and, uh, you know, bat cables, he can, you know, streak up the side of the building real fast, which probably doesn't. Let's be real. Yep. Um, cool. So, yeah, satchel charges, breaching charges, um, flamethrowers. The Russians really got into, I mean, it's probably not something that uh, our guys were able to use very much in Afghanistan and Iraq, but the Russians had no qualms. Uh, flamethrowers in the big urban battles. So we're talking about Stalingrad, 3rd and 4th Kharkov, and especially Berlin. They had entire uh, battalions, battalions of flamethrowers. Um, they called them like special engineer sappers. They were just basically flamethrower guys. So, I mean, the Marines used a lot of flamethrowers on Iwo Jima. They weren't usually at the battalion level. <laughs> 
and I'll be like a detachment at the battalion level. Be like the whole freaking battalion is just flamethrower guys. Um, Aren't flamethrowers so, the Geneva Convention now? Didn't they rule that after the war? I don't think you. Which war? World War Two. Um, World War Two. Um, I hope not, because we used a lot in um, Korea and Vietnam. Uh, I was gonna say, I uh, I don't think that they're. I think there was some uh, condition on their employment, but not the actual uh, use of them themselves. Because yeah. I mean, we used a crap ton of them in Vietnam. Yeah, that you're right. I stand corrected. Um, I, I mean, who I knows? Think you're right. I, I think we, we there was some we... restriction on, like you're not supposed to uh, straight up try to burn people with them, kind of thing. You know, kind of like the 50 cal is supposed to be used against equipment. Right. We right. all know this. We all know this story. Yep. This is one of the first things they taught us. 50 cals are only allowed to be used against American equipment, against enemy equipment. So if you Can't. shoot your 50 cal, what do you tell them? I was shooting at his helmet, sir. I was shooting uh, at his web uh, gear. Uh, I was shooting at his is, yeah, his, yeah, That's his, all uh, equipment. Rucksack, you know, I was shooting at the here. vehicle behind him. Yeah. Yep. yeah. The bullet went right through him and hit the vehicle, so I gave the target. Don't don't yell at me. Yeah, like flame, um, like, like flame blower. Frame, flame throwers. Easy for you to say. Uh, you got the, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure uh, Napalm has uh, been restricted somewhat too, right? Yeah, and again, we don't always play by all the rules. There's a lot of trees we've refused to sign. I know America has one of the big countries that has refused to sign the whole uh, land uh, uh, landmine uh, ban treaty. Um, and there's various reasons for that. So we don't always, you know, kind of go by it. I mean, how, for how, it's been, what, 80 years now? We still call, uh, I don't know if we even still use the weapon, but the old 4.2 inch mortar, we still call it the chemical mortar because it drops smoke. It's white phosphorus, but it's still technically a smoke round. Yeah, until you get hit with it. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, there there are rules about, like, when you can use it. People used to, I mean, technically, there's a lot of squawk about the uh, thermal barrack bombs mm-hmm. that we use, not only the very end of the Gulf War, but also against the caves in Afghanistan. No. No. Yeah. Uh, fuel air yeah. explosives. Cool. Those are uh, the poor the poor man's nuke, they call them. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll still use them. I mean, Tora Tor- Tor- got a bunch. Yeah, as, as long as you're not dropping them on civilians, um, that doesn't even stop everybody. Mm. Excuse me. That doesn't Israel. Operation Cast Iron dropped a whole bunch of white phosphorus all over civilians in Gaza on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. So, yeah, there you go. Santa's got some special, some special. You thought you were getting cold? You wish you were getting cold. Oh. How about some uh, 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit that pouring water on it doesn't put it out because it burns too hot for that. Um, then again, they did launch rockets, I think also on Christmas Day. That's kind of that up. But 2008, I probably have some of my dates off. Somebody shot something at somebody in 2008. Uh, I just remember it started on Christmas Day. But yeah, but then again, they get a lot of a flag for that. So when it comes to some of these weapons, I just remember I mean, to, to highlight the hypocrisy that sometimes flies around with this kind of discussion, um, you know, special weapons, shooting at civilians or shooting, engaging with certain kinds of weapons on the battlefield. World War One, the Marines went into Bella Wood and, you know, that's, they got the name Leatherneck and all that crap, or Devil Dog and all that stuff. And they were using uh, 10-gauge Winchester uh, trench guns, basically shotguns. Mm-hmm. Yep. 10 gauges. So, yeah, the Germans got one look at that and they freaked the hell out and they went straight to 
I mean, there was no real Geneva Convention in those days, but they went to all these international bodies. How dare these crazy Marines, these these goofy, uh, goofy ass Americans, use shotguns? This is a weapon against. This is the Imperial German Army who invented mustard gas. Uh-huh. Deployed it against the British and the French, and uh, were the first ones to use uh-huh. flamethrowers in combat. Uh, yeah, like they less than a year before. Yeah, they also had a little thing. What they call that? Phosgene. Yeah. yeah. And the first, and, and they're complaining about a ten gauge shotgun. Yeah. The people who use flamethrowers and mustard gas. So sometimes uh, there's a little bit of a you know two sided thing. And uh, you know, if you want to go way back, the Americans would put literally like uh, during the American Revolution they wouldn't just shoot a musket ball at you they would cast the musket ball to have a nail through it and shoot a British officer with that shoot first of all shooting at officers how dare you yeah. but then they would hit him with this special bullet that had a nail th- cast through it and then good luck surgeon getting that out that's um, why the word were, American ingenuity was brought into play there you go <laughs> and then uh, you know when the British would complain about that we would complain back you're the one using that triangular uh, silhouette bayonet that is specifically yep. designed yep. where it will not cut you it punctures you in a triangular you know mm-hmm. uh, cross section that no surgeon can close uh, and you did that on purpose um, so I mean let's face it when it comes to uh, when it comes to combat it's it's not a, a clean game yeah. Um, yeah almost ever Unfortunately, it also gives you some very good uh, cadences, you know. Napalm sticks to kids, burns off their hair and their eyelids. Uh. And YouTube just strikes us. <laughs> we should be so lucky. We are starting to get ads on our 30-minute or less content, which is annoying for our Wait viewers, a minute. We're not there yet. It's a... It uh, it is a good sign. They're starting to notice us. We're at nine seventy two. Where's where's they've been the doing it for for a couple months now. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um. So anyway, uh, I probably rambled about this enough. I'm just wondering if anybody in the community, or if um anyone on the team had any kind of thoughts about, or had run across these kinds of rules in their games before, uh, sewers. Multi-level buildings, uh, combat within buildings. Of course, sometimes you got guys who can take the roofs off their buildings, so you can have a shootout in the hallway. Um, I don't usually do that. Civilians and insurgents. Limitations on collateral damage is definitely one that I've seen in Force on Force. Hue City was a big one like that. We had that in our um, 50th anniversary of uh, Hue City uh, series a little while ago, and we also uh, run across it in Tactical Command Middle East. That's not even a, that's basically like fourth edition Panzer Leader. That's not even like a scenario rule. That's just baked into the rules of the game. Well, you baked into the rules too, Jim, a sit rep, a skirmish, you know. know. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's actually part of the game, Uh, you know. So, I mean, it's in a lot of games right now, you know. Yeah. I, I think once it gets past a certain like point of history, it almost has to be. It's yeah. like it's not something that you can be optional or well, you can use it if you want, kind of a thing. Because um, I think we passed it 
10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, where more than 50% of the world's population lives in cities, 100,000 persons or more. Basically, more than 50% of the world now lives in a city, depending on what you call a city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, warfare is going to follow the people. And more and more, you're going to have civilians in the way. And uh, the, the whole idea of the battlefield is coming up that word's gonna have to change sooner or later there's no such thing it's a, it's a battle block or it's a battle town or who knows what you want battle space i guess is what a lot of people are calling it yeah but you got mines ieds we've uh, experimented with ieds and modern valor and victory that's scary uh as it should be um it actually does make you a little nervous playing the game because yep. you don't know what the hell that thing is yeah. and makes, all of a sudden makes you even more off. nervous driving around them yeah. yep I'm proud Irish. Um, yeah, so yeah, so stairwells, uh, breaching uh, destructible terrain. If you're gonna blow a breach in a building, obviously you're not gonna punch a hole in your terrain. So you put like a little breach counter on there or something like that. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if anyone had any ideas about that. Now, apparently, there's chaos at the Schaefer house. <laughs> yep. Um, Which brings up another thing. How about using dogs in your? Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times before. A lot of times, dogs are used in urban combat right? too. More dogs. Not only for bombs, or you know, they're, um, they're the first guy through the breach. If you really want to go back, I mean, the Marines were using dogs in World War II on the islands. Um, so, I mean, as far as I know, they actually the dog has had a place in war going back to the ancient times. Uh, Irish wolfhounds and um, you know they they use dogs in combat and conflicts since you know way back when so you know and then Romans used to use them to help guard their camps yeah and then you had the cut down on how many centuries were you Marty we can't hear Marty's on mute (laughs) (laughs) anyway but I mean, come yeah. on! I, you, you watch, you know, modern conflict. You've got the canine units right. that are actually parachuting and repelling out of helicopters and, you know, into b- battles on. That's great. Actually, when I was in jump school, um, our we had a dog as a mascot for Charlie Company at the jump school, and he actually jumped with us during our jumps. So you know, he jumped with the first sergeant. So, um, yeah, dogs have always been part of the military, one way or another. So you definitely could bake them into rolls. Yeah, and you know, as, as I was trying to say uh, before, you know, uh, I had to uh, go deal with these dudes. Uh, apparently, my camp uh, at uh, Casa del Shaker is uh, well guarded. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> yep. sure that a uh, there was a leaf that moved outside, and I am now well protected from it. <laughs> hey, maybe he's protecting your table that you're trying to hit the, the varnish. Uh, hey, Jim, you, you might want to catch up on chat while you can. Really? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna murder he my knows dogs. We're talking about, he knows we're talking about him. <laughs> they're on some new shit today. I don't know what that is about. <laughs> uh, okay, so we were talking about uh, Conflict 47. Now we are, and um, guess me, the bayonet was just so our boys didn't chop their fingers off while fitting it. Okay. <laughs> so the second I start talking about British bayonets, the Englishman's got to step up and yeah. start. <laughs> Excuse me, dude. It was that we could not heal and, and and stitch our wounds closed. We all know it. We all know this. Well, we just Jim, put a I nail get... in our bullets so that way the lead had something to stick to when we cast them. <laughs> How's that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
This way, the surgeon had he could stick the bullet in the wall, and he had a place to hang his little apron when he was done chopping your leg off. We were trying to be considerate. Um, it would have been knife edge. We wouldn't have had troops with any fingers. You know, uh, we're kidding around with gas, but I did cut myself on an M7 bayonet one time. And holy hell, that some bitch was sharp. Me too. It was one of those cuts. I, I didn't even feel it. Yep. And then I'm setting a position of attention, and there's just I basically promoted myself to corporal ahead of time. I had this <laughs> blood stripe going down my leg, and uh, that's literally what they said. Oh, you think you're a freaking corporal now? And I looked down this stripe of blood just going down the side of my. I'm like, oh no, I crap i almost cut my thumb off with the friggin bayonet so i mean in all seriousness yeah that is kind of true um so gas also says jim all i know is that to kill the interpreter in the first in uh in, <laughs> kill the interpreter first in 13 hours so in one yeah. of the light tests which sadly i don't think ever got on stream it was a like a dark light test maybe it was on stream. i can't remember um we were testing out that game in preparation for 13 days to 13 hours and um I was playing the uh, GRS operatives, and I just made an interpreter check, then got a lucky roll on street events, made an interpreter check, made an interpreter check. By the time I got to the consulate, I had like four technicals, like 30 uh, Feb 17 guys on top of all my guys. Um, they had completely wiped out his entire force. He got some new guys. I instantly threw a stack of $100 bills at him. They joined my side. It was basically a Feb 17 parade. It was it was the end of the movie, just like eight hours too early. Um, right. Mostly because just got lucky with that interpreter. You can technically win that game without the interpreter, but it's it's hard. Oh, yeah. You, you want that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tried to, I, I designed this that you didn't need him, but wow, is it hard to win without him. And it's a, or at the very least, it's easier to win with him, uh, to be sure. Uh, so Tiger Shadow says, I've noticed lately that some of the newer fast play systems skip over stairwells and such, instead refer to going up and down a level, nothing in between. Yeah, see, that's the kind of thing, uh, uh, Tiger Shadow, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We all like games that, oh, you know, it plays in 30 minutes or less. You know, you can learn it in, you know, 20 minutes and you're playing in an hour. That the, 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 there is a basement to that, I, I feel, and I think we're 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 kind of losing something. Where if you want those big chunky games, um, that that you can have them. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying go all the way to Advanced Squad Leader. Oh. Advanced Squad Leader, especially in Stalingrad, had four-story buildings, stone, not brick. Excuse me, wood. Here are the stairwells. Here are the windows. Uh, your MG42 crew is on the third floor. Your Soviet mortar crew is on the fourth floor. Except, oh wait, there's a hole in the roof, so we can fire the mortar out of the building, which was a tactic used in Stalingrad. The Soviets, by the way. But yeah, you would have like one hex, and it would be in the stack. Like Germans control the first floor, the Soviets control the second floor, Germans control the third floor and you had to track all that mess in these little tiny hexes that didn't that weren't physically big enough yeah to allow you to really get in with your big freaking fingers to you know um to, uh, manipulate the that's when people start buying tweezers and little bits of string and oh man so i mean in, in there there's got to be a happy medium someplace yeah that seems like a lot of work that's a I mean, it was realistic yeah, squad leader. Squad leader doesn't take any shortcuts. Yeah. Um, there was there was a box of squad leader at, at our battalion, and they encouraged us to play it. Uh, it's just most of us couldn't get our head around the rules because <laughs> there was also. I'll, I'll make the I'll make the joke first. It was a marine barracks. Um, so, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, even even a, a big uh, crunchy hex encounter guy, a squad leader, or 
advanced Adva- squad advanced. leader. Especially squad since- leader is not that bad. Yeah. Advanced is over the top. So, so there's a, there's their squad leader, then there's advanced squad leader. Even advanced squad leader is not too bad. The problem is that they there was literally like 50 or 60 modules that came out after that. One for the Italians, one for the Germans and Russia in 40 basically Stalingrad, one for the Germans in 43, one for the Germans in 44, the Americans, the Marines, the Japanese, the Japanese Marines. That, and every one of them just started adding a few more rules, adding a few more. It became Battletech, you know, another successful module, or a few more rules, or Flames of War 3rd Edition. Before you know, the whole game becomes this, you know, top-heavy inverted pyramid of rules that um, often just doesn't work. But they did do urban combat uh, pretty pretty seriously. Yeah, I think a lot of times with those smaller skirmish games in particular, uh, you know, if you are actually uh, if you have a physical table that allows you to, you know, that has like an actual stairwell, for instance, and that you're able to move between floors, you know, a lot of times they just just address that by, you know, uh, the regular line of sight rules. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can see the dude, you can uh, you can take action kind of thing. But generally, off the top of my head, there's no other special rule for, like, stairwells in particular. I mean, games these days, being skirmished, <laughs> they're really for fast play. You know, they don't want to get bogged down in rules. So, you know, stair- controlling a stairwell, blah, blah, blah. It's literally how fast can I hit and run and get through, you know, because what is one of the big taglines these days in games? You can play it in 30 minutes or less. Or there's a game that's on uh, Kickstarter now. It's a modern game. and I, I meant to mention it, but I can't find the link for it right now. It literally says you can play this game in 15 minutes. How deep can you go in 15 minutes, you know? So, I was going to say, I don't know that I want a game that short. Right? I understand why they want to do it. They, they don't want people to go back to playing Call of Duty um, or PUBG or whatever, you know. So I get it. And if you want to get super technical into, like, running up a stairwell, like, there's literally Call of Duty for that. But uh, I don't know. There's no tactics in that game. Yeah. At least not from many of the fights I've seen. I don't play it myself. Gary. I'll probably play uh, 40k before I play uh, <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> what? That's probably a literal truth. Wow, That's probably wow. a literal truth. Woo. At least 40k has yeah. units on a table I can maneuver around. Uh, Call of Duty is just like, you know... Run and shoot. It, there uh, there are no tactics yeah. to that game. It's literally can chop, I camp out somewhere and, and shoot. And, yeah, chop a head off a chicken and throw him out uh, have him run around spraying blood everywhere. You know, you die in like two seconds. Um, anyway. Yeah. Okay, so um, Gaz says. Better than Fortnite. (laughs) What's that? Call of Duty is still better than Fortnite. I know Joey loves Fortnite, but you know he's ten. So. Well, I was gonna say yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. We're gonna give Joey a pass on that. That, That's 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 the demographic that's designed for. Nice. So um, Gaz says, okay, so with modern equipment and tactics, what? In each team member's opinion, okay, is the right scale to play at to best represent weapons ranges and unit level tactics? Oh no, we're going down the range discussion again. I know my answer, but I'll let you guys go first. Well, I I think that depends on the weapon system, to be honest, because you know the uh, the appropriate scale for a tank uh, is going to be different than the appropriate scale for, say, uh, a rifle. 
or knife. It, well, yeah. Well, it depends. I, was, on, I wasn't going to go there. That's too yeah, easy. Yeah, it but, depends uh, on the level. It's like, like, it's like unit based tactics. Though. Are you talking? Yeah. You that, know, that, that's kind of what he's asking me. Is it a six like, man like, team, or you know, if you're talking, you know, a six man, twelve man team, or are you talking uh, a squad size? Are you talking company size? You know, you really have to look at the size of you know what you're playing. Obviously, <laughs> if we're talking skirmish, we're talking team to squad, maybe platoon at max, but really you're talking teams. If you really want to get in the nitty gritty, if you're looking visually, then obviously 28 mil, visually. If you want to talk accurately, you're going to have to talk micro scales, you know, 6 mil, 10 mil maybe, Um, you know, especially modern weapons, because if you look at some of the rule sets like Skirmish Sangin, they have very realistic, you know, we've talked, we've covered all this in past yeah, episodes. Yeah, they've got legit range yeah. bands. You know, and some rules say it's table edge to table edge, depending on the scale. So uh, it just depends on what it is, you know, the setting of the game. Uh, you know, if you're talking, honestly, you know, and Jim and I have talked at this ad nauseum, armor really should be done at six mil you know ish uh to get you that range you know on an eight by four table even at that you're you know really are you truly at the true range of a you know a modern uh gun barrel on a on a tank so it just depends on what the objective is really so if I'm if we're if we're talking about like like a uh, a unit based because he's talking about like unit based unit level tactics, All right? So um, I guess it depends on you know okay like like Bill was saying like what kind of unit we're talking about. So to to, to kind of put a box around the question uh, to sort out all over the place, at least for me, I, you know, reasonable men may may differ. If I want to play with vehicles. I do Panzer Leader because Panzer Leader, every piece is a platoon. A decent sized battle is going to be at least a battalion. Like tomorrow's micro game, it's going to be a very small game of Panzer Leader, is going to be two reinforced battalions against each other. Really, it's usually a regiment and sometimes a brigade. And that's the level that those kind of units engage at in most like non insurgency actual battlefield conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a single team, you know, two mech platoons, one armor platoon, or vice versa, plus a command element, and maybe some ITVs. They're not out there just swanning around by their own. They're part of a battalion. That battalion is part of a brigade, and you know, so on. So you have to have a table with that kind of a, of a, of a you know, uh, elbow room on it. So as far as scale, Panzer Leader is literally assuming one inch hexes, one to ten thousand. Um, if you're anything bigger than that, you've got problems when it comes to modern vehicles. Uh, when it comes to infantry, I mean, everyone knows to do Valor. Uh, so I won't like go into like why. I won't go into like, oh, Valor and Victory. But as far as like the reasons why, it is small enough to have fire teams and squads and individual leaders or heroes. And it is um, big enough to where it can actually have fields of fire, fire lanes, mm-hmm. support missions. And again, the unit-based tactics that I think Gas is referring to. So that's usually like a company, um, a, a mini game of Valorant Victory. Like you want to get together and play like a half-hour game. That could be like a platoon, but it's usually about a company, maybe two companies. Like two companies attacking one company is usually what we see in Valorant Victory. So hopefully I was close to the intent of that question. Um, Tiger Shadow says, yes, the higher the velocity of the weapon, the smaller the scale should be. Um, 
higher the velocity of the weapon. So we're talking about muzzle velocity. Um, so like the uh, higher the range. Yeah, because muzzle yeah. velocity usually equals range. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was gonna say yeah, that's exactly how that works out there. It's, you know, the fa- the faster it's going, generally speaking, the farther it'll go. Yeah, so was, uh, I guess the best way I can frame the question is playing as the CEO of a single unit. Yeah, I often say that all war games are at their heart role playing games. You are on a skirmish game, maybe a senior NCO, maybe a boot lieutenant. In Valorant Victory, you're a first lieutenant or a captain. And in Panzer Leader, those kind of war. Uh, you know what? Let me just stop. You talk about those. We talk about more about miniature games. Um, uh, Val, I mean, uh, Panzer Leader, I keep talking about Panzer Leader. I'd say seven days to the River Rhine. Seven days to the River Rhine is you're, you're at least a captain. Something like that. It depends on what level of command you want to you want to you want to play at. Uh, something where each player commands a unit rather than overall command. So you're talking about like a like a team play, something like that. Yes. Hopefully, I'm getting close to the question, but we're gonna have to close it up here pretty soon anyway. Um, yeah, so guess is something where each player controls a unit rather than has overall command. That's most tactical war games, if I understand the question correctly. I mean, yeah. you're never out there completely by yourself. In Panzer Leader, you're like in charge of a regiment. There's supposedly a regiment on this side and a regiment on that side. They're not usually on the table. You have overall command of your table. But like a game like, okay, here's a, here's a miniature game. So I stopped talking about my hex and counter silliness. Um, battle Group. You're playing 15 millimeter Battle Group for World War II. That game reminds you every single, with every roll of the dice, you are part of a much larger environment. Uh, and that's 15 mil usually. And it's individual men, individual tanks. It's a, it's a little smaller than, than Team Yankee, a little smaller than uh, Flames of War. But um, you don't just have, like, fire missions in your order of battle. You have a priority. You have to call back to regiment. You have to call back to, you know, brigade. You have to call back to division. And uh, depending on what priority you bought and what, you know, um, what, what your dice roll was depends on what you get. Obviously, first priority costs more than second priority costs more than third priority. But once you get down to third priority, you're lucky if you get like a battery of mortars, 81 millimeter mortars. If you're first priority, you might get some eight inches from all the way back at core. And then God help your opponent. But then again, that costs you how much to be first priority. And then the battle rating system. So that game, that game says you still got units on the table, but your battle is over if you hit a certain point. And it's got nothing to do with... Um, oh, looks like my camera's frozen on a really weird spot. <laughs> yeah. hey, That's yeah. good. Real, real quick before uh, Marty drops yeah, off, I wanted to wish his... Uh is a uh, household commander uh, happy birthday <laughs> thanks buddy i'll let her know and uh yeah i gotta well, punch out my eye, that phone call that interrupted me earlier is my eye doctor moving my appointment so i have to punch okay. out early it's been a pleasure boys carry on all right good things and we will uh talk to you later sounds good later bud oh we lost jim all right we're just no we're, i'm still here i'm just trying to get my camera reset okay because I was paused on a really goofy image there. I was like, eh? and it was frozen there. Perfect. There's someone's our thumbnail. Clip, so, <laughs> someone's gonna clip that. It's gonna be. That's uh, gonna be someone's freaking desktop now. <laughs> but anyway. All right, guys. Yeah. So yeah, we're pretty much done. We only meant to run about an hour and a half. We're coming up on that now. Um, yeah. Jim just sat on something. Yeah. <laughs> a unit for us would be a regiment. Okay. So if you want to play a regiment, we're talking Panzer Leader. 
Panzer Leader is uh, Regiment is right down the middle of the road as far as uh, as far as a Panzer Leader game, or GDW Assault if you want something a little bit more modern. Uh, Tactical Command Middle East is modern day Panzer Leader. That's where you get into regimental, you know, where there's a regiment on the table. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're talking about each piece as a regiment, that's almost operational level gaming, and that's another whole episode, which we can totally get into. In fact, we've got some uh, some of uh, Piotr's content on regimental and division scale gaming. Or not regimental and divisional scale, regimental and division based. Two different things. All right. Cool. All right, everybody. Um, unless anyone has any more thoughts, we're going to wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. I'm good. How are we doing? Okay, then. Everyone, thanks very much. We are rounds complete. Tango Mike, as always, for listening. Uh, we will be live tomorrow at about 4 p.m. Eastern time for some U.S. Marines versus Australians and emus. We're going to add emus <laughs> to the scenario now. Just for, um, Hopefully Dylan doesn't watch this before the show. Otherwise, the surprise will be lost. But in all seriousness, we're taking off, guys. Thanks, as always. This is Risky Jim for the Sit Red Podcast. We'll be in touch later this week. Take care. And, uh, yeah, happy gaming. <laughs>